Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation features Danuka McKenzie in conversation with 2SER's own Ben Herder. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing and literary culture. My name's Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. To SEL broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gundagara people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging that these are unceded lands, stolen land, and treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. Danuka McKenzie is an Australian writer, and her debut novel... The one we're going to hear about today, it actually won the HarperCollins Australia 2020 Banjo Prize. It's for an unpublished manuscript. And that novel is now The Torrent. Danuka is going to be joined or joining Ben Herder. Now, he is 2SER's own Ben Herder. He is the other half of Flex and Herds. Felix has joined us recently. He has presented an incredible conversation. Now it is Ben's turn. He is going to be talking The Torrent with Danuka. In northern New South Wales, heavily pregnant and a week away from maternity leave, Detective Sergeant Kate Miles is exhausted, counting down the days. A violent holdup at the local fast food restaurant has unsettling connections to her own past, meaning that her final days will be anything but straightforward. Then, a second case is dumped on her lap, the closed case of a man drowned in recent summer floods. What begins as a simple, informal review quickly grows into something more complicated. Kate can either write the report that's expected of her or investigate the way she wants to. As secrets and betrayals pile up, the needs of her own family intervene. How far is Kate prepared to push to discover the truth? That's it. You got me. I'm hooked. Join Ben as he and Danuka get deeper into the torrent. Coming up at the Sydney Writers Festival on the 20th of May, Suzanne Leal will be joined for the Mother of All Crimes panel by Jane Caro, author of The Mother, Laura Elizabeth Woollett, author of The Newcomer, and today's guest, Danuka McKenzie, author of The Torrent. Now, The Torrent is Danuka's award-winning debut novel set in the near Wild West that is northern New South Wales. If you're interested in that panel, we'll have links up on the podcast, but for now, let's get down to business. Danuka, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. All right. It's great to have you on. (laughs) Now, Danuka, it wouldn't be crime fiction without a, a time bomb to keep our blood pressure high as we read. Uh, but you've replaced the usual metaphorical arrival of the storm with a literal storm and the impending arrival of our protagonist, Kate's child. How does the last week of pregnancy compare to the last minute revisions of a debut novel? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's a really interesting question. Uh, I guess the uh, tension in a you know crime fiction novel, um, the idea of her being that pregnant and her being that vulnerable in that stage of her life, and sort of being a policeman, I think you know it automatically lends tension. And I think you know having spoken to. <laughs> To readers now, I didn't actually realise how much tension that would actually create um, because I think it built up this this um, this real issue in in the reader's mind. Um, whereas I guess for me, it was on the basis that you know when I was writing, uh, when I originally started writing this story, I was very pregnant. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so there's the character. You know, it wasn't as kind of, what's the word, thoughtful as that. You know, it, I did, it wasn't as deliberate, let's say, as that. But obviously, you know, as, as the revisions went on and on and on and on, um, it, it, you know, I guess more, you know, like I thought about it more and, you know, certainly that, that time frame of the seven days, you know, lent itself automatically to that tense kind of, you know, time frame for, for the book. Um, and in terms of how, how much is it like uh, revising a book? Well, it's only long, <laughs> so I guess it's, it's... An arduous process. Yes, yes, it is definitely an arduous process, but uh, certainly the, the final, uh, you know, release into the world is not as painful, shall we say that, no, or physically painful anyway. I mean, I couldn't imagine, but it's good to hear it from, from, from your mouth, uh, Danuka. I appreciate you telling us. <laughs> Now I, I wanted to to jump into some of the, uh, the 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 deeper the deeper sides of this novel. Um, now in, in crime fiction, uh, there's kind of a harmful stereotype around mental illness when it comes to to the criminal. Um, it's very easy to say you know the psycho did it because they're a psycho. We don't need any more justification. Um, several of the characters in your story are dealing with depression, trauma other mental illnesses. How did you go about kind of incorporating these people as characters that that matter to the story while sidestepping these narrative pitfalls? Yeah, I guess, I mean, the way, you know, I guess my stepping back a little bit, my interest in crime fiction is very much on the basis of sort of not seeing necessarily, you know, that black and white, you know, bad guys, good guys. I'm always interested in the grey. So that is always where my interest comes from. And and I think, you know, the, the more you research and the more you kind of dig a bit deeper into any kind of news story that happens, you know, where, where there's a, you know, there's a whole bunch of criminals and, and cameras on their face at the end of what happened, you know, at the at the that last stage of what happened, when you dig into their story, there's a whole bunch of things that have led them to that place, you know, and that is always where where my head goes. Like, how have they got to the place that they've got to? So, so for me, I mean, I think you know, mental health and and you know, the precursors to that. I, I guess what got them to that place is what I'm interested in, and I certainly don't want to demonize anyone for that because I mean, I think you know, what I would love for people to do is when they're reading this book is to hopefully feel in that situation themselves and then and kind of ask that question in their head, well, what would I have done in that situation? Or when they see a person on the news, they won't go, okay, well, that, that's automatically the bad guy, but think about, okay, well, how did they, how did they get to that point, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where my interest lies, yeah. Well, it's interesting you brought that angle of, you know, thinking how would I act in this situation uh, because I, I noticed in particular your portrayal of the the autistic child Noah, um, who is a, a key aspect of the mystery, and he was portrayed with a lot of I thought love and, and care. Um, I personally care a lot about the portrayal of people on the spectrum, uh, and it really struck me how well you managed to keep him relevant to the mystery um, while highlighting both the positive and kind of negative aspects uh, of his mental illness. Do you, do you think there's any aspect of his character that you would you would write differently, or you think you could you know you would you would show off more cleanly if you had to to write him again? Um, certainly, I mean, you know, when I was writing Noah, obviously I was very aware that uh, you know I was writing outside of my lived experience, so it was you know certainly that was you know absolutely front of mind in terms of ensuring that I uh, you know did Noah justice and did you know that depiction as far as I could sort of um, do that from from a person living outside of that experience so I guess certainly you know I used the tools that are in my um, disposal which are you know obviously research reading and feedback 
know, and those are the three things that I did to try and get, you know, all of the characters right, but in particular, I think Noah. Um, and so I, I had a lot of, uh, you know, um, sensitivity readers, you know, who helped me out, who were both um, autistic, but also were carers for autistic um, children. So they gave me both the perspective of the parent as well as, you know, of Noah himself, um, and to try and kind of, I guess, um, look at um, Noah's characteristics in that way. And really, I mean, Noah's storyline is very much, again, what interested me uh, is, again, the parenting side, because I don't know if you know this, but, you know, the, the parenting thread as, 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 as I guess a theme runs through the book. I mean, it, you know, it's quite well, impressive. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and not only, you know, I guess, you know, parenting in, in, in all its forms, because obviously the Kate side is, you know, parenting a very small child, but also there's issues around adults and, and their relationships with their parents and teenagers and their relationships with their parents. So that kind of goes through the theme. And with Noah's storyline, it was more along the lines of, I guess, how parental fears about their children and I guess that, that fear of societal censure um, can be manipulated and taken advantage of. Um, so that was very much, you know, and those anxieties and how that can play out. And again, you know, hopefully, again, while you're going through the story, I really want the reader to go, oh, well, yeah, how, how would I deal with that situation? You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I did want to highlight how you showed um, situations where the, there were there were other parents, I mean, the, 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 the aquatic center and Noah doesn't want to go in the water. And his mother is obviously very caring in the situation, saying, well, you don't have to go in the water if you don't want to. But the other parents, they're, you know, oh, I wouldn't take that. I'm paying for this swimming lesson. I'd, I'd throw the child in the water head first, I would. Um, and I thought the way that you highlighted different, I, I guess, parenting styles might be <laughs> the way to express that um, when it comes to a, a differently minded and a differently abled child was very, very interesting. Um, but of course, Noah does also have very positive moments as well, which I, I really enjoyed. One of the things, I mean, you know, again, with parenting, you know, there's so much pressure on parents, you know, and there's so much judgment, uh, you know, uh, around parents and parenting, you know, and everybody, you know, thinks, I guess, you know, there's a certain way of doing things, but it's more around kind of being kind and being going, well, you know, I'm not in that situation, you know, you know, I'm not, you know, so how would you know how that feels and, you know, what that looks like? So it's more around, I guess, trying to, um, you know, and I, look, and this is definitely happening uh, more and more and more, uh, but there is, I mean, I think being a parent and having this expectation in your head of getting it right every single time is a huge kind of pressure on parents full stop. Um, and I think then being a carer would just add that additional layer of pressure um, and I guess, you know, expectation on that. So, so yeah, so I guess I wanted to play with all those ideas, you know, or a number of those ideas and, and you know, look at those ideas of how other parents um, sometimes judge their fellow parents, um, often in ways of kind of, um, you know, like humble bragging and, and things like that, where it's, it's, it's done in a very subtle manner, but you still feel that, that judgment. It's very present. Yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously you're, you're talking now about how the, the novel really is about parenting. Uh, and I, and you've, you've paired Kate's role as a mother with the actions of several young people as perpetrators in the novel. The obvious example being the, the McDonald's robbery, um, this this all sort of plays in anxieties about what 
your children grew into or, or, or what Kate's children could grow into. Um, Kate doesn't exactly voice the fear that her children could grow up to be hooligans, Robbie McDonald's one day, but is this something that you think she worries about deep down? Is, is this sort of thinking justified? I think from Kate's point of view, she is able to see both sides because she has that experience as a police officer, but she is, you know, um, you know, finding her way as a mum, you know, and she sees that that idea that, you know, like you can't control every single thing that happens to your children. You know, you can't control their lives all the time. You know, with, with the absolute best of intentions, all you can do is kind of be there for them um, and, you know, and hopefully it will kind of turn out right. I, I don't think um, she feels any kind of judgment. I think she kind of sees both sides of the story and she's quite kind of... Um, uh, what's the word? She's quite kind of, I think, quite sympathetic to those kids because she essentially sees them still as kids. You know, they're still teenagers. Um, they're not kind of hardened criminals. And, yes, they have made certain choices. They have made certain decisions in their lives. But I think I, I, I really wanted to play around with this idea that is quite prevalent, certainly, in our society nowadays of, you know, at what point do you forgive people, you know, <laughs> because people are allowed to make mistakes. And, and this idea that, you know, certainly, you know, nowadays when, when a kid makes a mistake, because people in their 20s, people, you know, they're still kids, right? Um, and if, if oh my God, if I was judged the way people are being judged nowadays on social media or on news and whatever, you know, and if if you ha if you look back at your own lives and all the kind of the missteps that you've taken in your life, and and where maybe a friend was there to take you home safely, or you know wh whatever those those little missteps um, that somehow turned out bad, and then you know there's a consequence for that child. Well, that could happen to anyone, you know, and it doesn't mean they're necessarily bad within inverted commas. And so, yeah, so that's always the space I'm interested in in looking at because there's always, I mean, I certainly think, you know, by any kind of accident, it's that sliding doors. Okay, well, that could have been me. That could have been my child. That could have, you know. And I always think when you see those news footage of, you know, cameras in someone's face, I always think, okay, well, what's the family feeling? Because we're judging those people on that moment in time, but you've got family who have known this person for years and now this they've done this silly thing or they've done this mistake. I'm not talking about really horrific things, but, you know, um, and they get judged and laughed at and, and ridiculed and, and, you know, opinion pieces get written of them. But, you know, what about the parents? What about the friends who've known this child, who've brought up this child, over all these years and suddenly they have to deal with this, you know, and they're, they're forced to take sides and it's, you know, and I put myself in that situation and go, oh, gosh, you know, what, what if that was my child, you know? Um, and so that is kind of always the space I'm really interested in exploring and, I, you know, and so there's threads of that in all those characters, you know, um, in their stories, so, yeah. Well, you've talked a lot about empathy there and especially empathy towards children who've done wrong. Now, your, your novel follows a, a half Sri Lankan pregnant woman on a police force surrounded by men. Um, how do you tackle writing empathetic characters uh, or, or characters we can be empathetic towards who also harbor extreme prejudice for one of many reasons? Um, <laughs> how do you tackle that? Um, again, you know, I think it's all about the information available to that individual and, and, you know, the culture that they've grown up in. So, again, you know, a person doesn't necessarily 
is not necessarily bad because they ha- they hold a certain view that they've come to through their own upbringing. Um, it's it's the fact that I mean I guess you know it's the, it's the issue of if they've had the opportunity to learn and then they choose not to. Okay, that's a different thing. But I guess most people most people uh, you know are trying to do the best that they can. Um, and so even the bad guys <laughs> within inverted commas in this. Again, I really wanted to show, okay, you know, there are there may be reasons, there may be resentments, and often, and often the the issues that they end up uh, doing or the or their behaviour is more a reflection of them rather than the person they're perpetrating that against. So it's it's a defence, you know, it's it's usually a hang up that they have. Um, so uh, you know, again, I, w- I don't want to get into <laughs> spoilers, but there is a certain, you know, there's obviously a certain policeman that uh, that Kate particularly butts up against. But he, I think, you know, from his point of view, he's coming from the point of view of, well, that old-style policeman who's been a career policeman and sees this kind of new generation coming up and who's got the promotions, who's got the what they see as special treatment, and they go, well, where's, where's that for me, you know? And so there's hang-ups and there's vulnerabilities there in his, in his own life that he then takes out on you know, in this case, Kate. Um, so, yeah, so, again, you, you want to see threads of people, even the people you absolutely dislike and not the nicest people, you know, I guess the job of a writer is to still sit in their skin and see what's making them do that, you know, so. I did want to comment. It, Kate's father is revealed at a, at a certain point in the story uh, to, to be homosexual, um, which led to disgrace for his police career. I, I noticed that you use this to throw like two different angles of, of prejudice at, at Kate. One from, you know, her father is uh, supposedly skyrocketing her career and she doesn't have to work for it, that sort of angle. Um, and another from the police officers who are sort of more in the know and they realize that internal politics could just as easily sabotage Kate's career. Um, what was the process of, of kind of balancing those two approaches like, those two mindsets, I guess, making them both feel real? Um, yeah, I guess, again, with Kate, um and her dad, I really wanted to explore sort of uh, the relationship between, you know, those, those uh, and, uh, you know, an adult and, and, and a father. And, and I guess, you know, and I guess how, uh, you know, certain fractures in their early life has kind of, you know, still making their presence felt. And, you know, and I think what I wanted to show there was really I don't think it was necessarily, again, it's not necessarily Kate's dad's fault, you know, because, the mum was in that relationship just as much and both those people made decisions in their life, in their marriage and and which, you know, I don't necessarily go into but it's certainly not uh, it's certainly not meant to be, okay, it's all Kate's dad's fault or, you know, anything like that. I think it's, it's meant to reflect the complexity of relationships and how in that generation it wasn't as easy as it is um, nowadays to to you know um, to come out and certainly you know and and like nowadays still people you know have those issues you know so so you know decades and decades ago it would just be it would just be even harder so you know I you know I, I don't think there is, there's certainly no blame or anything like that but I think it's just reflecting those relationships and also this idea that for adults, you know, they don't necessarily see their, or it takes a while for you to see your parents as individuals, you know, with individual needs and not just your parent, you know, not just your dad and your mom, whose only job is to look after you. As a, as a wallet, right? Exactly. <laughs> I get money exactly. from my parents. And, <laughs> and so that was that nuance where you are looking at your 
at your parents. I mean, Kate, now, now that she is a is a mum uh, and she is a parent and she's having to negotiate her individual needs around the needs of her children and family, us is seeing her relationship with her dad in a far more nuanced way, where, say, her brother <laughs> is still very much reacting as a, as a young child, you know, um, reacting against his dad, you know. So, so those were kind of the relationships I wanted to explore there. Um, and, and in terms of what you were mentioning about, I guess, uh, office politics and things like that, again, you know, uh, you know I think these issues around uh, you know, when you're in the public eye and when certainly, again, there's a generational issue there where you've set yourself up in a certain way, it's very difficult to come back from that. I mean, we do this to politicians and we do this to people in the public eye all the time. They are not allowed to change their minds. They're certainly not allowed to kind of come to a different point of view. You know, they are sort of hounded for doing so. So I think there there were those kind of threads as well that I think... I wanted to explore and yeah so uh, it was almost on the basis of of sort of Kate you know on the face of it being a very regular everyday woman but there's all this stuff swirling around her you know which she has there's a, there's a lot of hashtag drama going on in the background <laughs> hashtag, um, lots of drama yeah. yes <laughs> no I think that that undertone about the way that we uh, almost we, we persecute you know people who are in the limelight, police chiefs, people of authority, parents. I think that's a very strong kind of undercurrent in the in the novel, pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask Tanuka, I, I hear you have, or at least you you had a, a pet chicken. Um, is Kate's father Gray's sage advice about the dangers of hose blasting a pile of chicken poop from personal experience? It is absolutely from personal experience. Gosh, yes. So we <laughs> I thought so. Yes. So we've had numerous chickens and the original lot of chickens that we had, we 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 grew from chicks, you know, we had like oh. so they were not used to being fenced in any way, shape, or form, and they would just roam everywhere. And just I would spend my entire what felt like my entire life just cleaning poo from our deck uh, or chicken poo from our deck and so yes so that is very much based on real life particularly when you come home after a sort of a day from work and it's just all crusted um yes uh you know uh, hardened in the sun so yes <laughs> yeah i grew up um sort of in the, the the hawksby area so not quite we didn't quite have farmland but we had acres uh, and we we owned a couple of chickens at a time to get eggs from that sort of thing, and we we always had to keep them in this little pen. We we let them out to go for walks, you know, that sort of thing during the day. But we always made sure to put them back in the pen because if you left them out, they would leave poop all over the garden, all over the walking path. It was awful. Um, <laughs> and we let that through experience rather than realizing that at the start. So and and of course the kids were really like you know my my son actually at the time was sort of really used to the chickens being out. So it was you know it was just one of those things as well trying to manage that as well. Well, then I I need to ask you next. Uh, a couple of times throughout the novel, Kate seems to take comfort in tea, though it seems that no one else in the cast can get it quite right. Um, and the only way that she can get her own tea right is by murdering a helpless tree or two. What's up with that, Danuka? Please spill the tea for me. Oh, 
Farah. Isn't it funny how these threads appear in your book? And I actually really noticed that when I was proofreading. I'm like, What's, where's all this tea coming from? Why is she always drinking tea? I'd love to know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I guess it also goes back to her pregnancy because I couldn't have her drinking, like, too much caffeine. So so that's so the, so the, so the uh, trope of the coffee-drinking police officer has been... <laughs> You know, reversed into a tea drinking police officer. So yes, yeah, so there's constant reference to tea. So I do apologize. No, no, that's excellent. I'm, I'm seeing it now. With I'm seeing the hardball detective. Can he goes to all these different coffee shops and they have too much cream or not enough right. bean oil? I don't know coffee very well, but like uh, they can't. They just can't get it right. Nothing like yeah. home brewed coffee from the station back home. That sort of thing. That's, that's excellent. Exactly right? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's right. perfect. Part of the, the the marketing of this novel of the torrent um, really makes us excited for how far Kate will go for the sake of the truth. Um, and obviously, this is a big theme of a lot of really exciting detective stories with a few well-known examples, uh, even having the detective kind of call off the hanging because they decide to, to protect the suspect. Now, I'm not saying that Kate is a heartless monster, but- it takes the brash junior detective, Joshua Ellis, asking her why she's even pursuing this case, uh, pursuing the, the death of Joel, which may not have even been a murder. Um, she, it, it takes him bringing up, you know, the ethics of this case for her to even just uh, think about whether or not she should she should call it off. Um, how sympathetic should we be to Kate in this moment? How, how, how have you intended that to play out? Yeah, I mean, I think I needed for someone to ask her why she is continuing on with this, you know, because I guess, you know, obviously when she starts looking into the case, it's not that she knows that complication is there, you know, uh, but at the same time, I think, you know, for her, the finding of the truth is, is very much an issue for her. But also I think, I guess from her point of view, she has been tasked by a grieving mother to, 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 to find out what really happened to her son. And she, you know, that is very much front and centre for her uh, in her mind. She sees Annette, you know, really, really grieving and basically, I mean, kind of descending into quite bad mental health because of that. Um, and, and she, you know, from her point of view, I guess she's saying, well, there is a solution. We can let her know that. Uh, if everyone comes to the party, uh, because, yeah, there, there is no real consequence um, so therefore, why don't we just tell her? And so for her, you know, she has to try and justify both those points of view. And I guess she comes or balance rather, not justify, but balance those two points of view and come to a position where, again, with her having a child, she very much, I, I guess, identifies with Annette in that way and goes, well, if something happened, I would want to know as well. So I think she very much identifies there and th- those are where the two kind of opposing um, issues come to play. And, you know, but but I agree, like I needed Josh um, to have that conversation with her in order for that to be made clear to the, I guess, to the reader to, you know, because that is a, you know, I guess issue she has to come to terms with, yeah. Well, it's funny you mention uh, the the two sides of the story because there is a subtle undertone about the the power of media that permeates this novel, and we're shown through the dual stories of Gabby, the celebrity athletic wife of Joel, who's our supposed murder victim, um, and the story of Annette, who you just mentioned, his mother and alleged crazy old bat. Um, that pretty people have a much better chance of getting their story out to the world and of being accepted. Um, what do we need to remember when news only shows us 
pretty suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think, you know, certainly that is the idea of not taking everything that's shown to us as on face value, you know, and, and trying to see what's underneath that, what's behind that, and why is this person getting the, the airtime and, and not that person. And, you know, I mean, look, you know, not to go into it too much, but obviously this has played out very recently in the media with, you know, the, the you know, the very recent case of, um, you know, the, the child abduction in, in Western Australia where, you know, th- there's been numerous cases of, um, you know, similar cases for, for Indigenous people, but whether that got the same, you know, um, news uh, uh, sort of um, coverage, uh, you know, because every life is important, you know, every, certainly not every child's life is so important. And, and you know, who is making that decision, you know, f- from the point of view of TV stations and from the point of view of news media, to, to give which story the airtime, you know, and it, and it's awful for the parents at the back end of that to, to not be the people who get that airtime, you know. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, that is absolutely an issue in, in sort of, you know, our media landscape. And so, yes, so, again, that is a, a certain thread that, you know, um, that, that is run through the book as well, just to, I guess, Again, think about just that other issue as well about who gets the airtime. Yeah. Do you do you think that Kate is the right person to be making that decision? Maybe not for the media specifically, but in terms of who who gets their voice out there. You know. Well, I think you know Kate is. I mean, you're seeing the story through Kate's point of view. So obviously, I guess um, you know all the issues that run through the book are very much, I guess, seen through her point of view, and it's it's you know she's seeing things. And again, it's because she has that, I guess, insider's view. She sees um, the other suffering, the other victims, all the other stuff that doesn't necessarily make it into the media story. So she she has that other view. You know, she sees uh, what goes on as a police officer. So therefore, you know, in that sense, yeah, she can, I guess, she is in a position to make that those kind of um, judgments, if you will, um, you know, when, when she's seeing those kind of things on, on TV, yeah. I mean, it's not to say, look, Certainly, Kate is not perfect. I mean, let's let's do tell. How is she not perfect? No, but she, you know, she's she know she has her own kind of uh, you know issues in terms of she's very much you know ambitious. You know, she she absolutely uh, wants to succeed in her career, and and she makes certain strategic decisions in relation to that. She prioritizes things, right? Absolutely. You know, and there are certain people who would consider that not acceptable, certainly in a woman, certainly in a woman who's pregnant, um, and, you know, and certainly in, in that form to, to put her, you know, to, to, to make those decisions around career versus, versus children. Um, she, you know, so there are things that she's getting better with her relationship with her dad. She's, you know, there are things um, that she is also kind of she's internalised various things around, I guess, um, you know, not showing uh, weakness in the police force and things like that, which is very much a cultural thing in the police force. Now she has absorbed all those things and internalised those things and which is part of the reason why, you know, she's very much not wanting to show any kind of um, or give anyone any reason to think there are that, that she has any weaknesses or, you know, that she's getting special treatment or whatever. So there are many things. She is certainly not a perfect character. She has internalised various things and she is 
on a journey just as much as a number of the characters are. But, of course, you are seeing the world through Kate's eyes and, therefore, she is certainly making certain judgments or certain, uh, you know, viewpoints of her world and that's what the reader reads. <laughs> now, it's written, uh, Danuka, in the back of my e-reader here that the next Kate Miles novel, Taken, is coming out in 2023, I believe. What, what can we expect and how can we get excited for more of Kate's Wild Adventures? <laughs> Kate's Wild Adventures, yes. That's the name of the book. <laughs> uh, so, essentially, Essentially, uh, we pick up Kate's story, uh, you know, a few months after the ending at, uh, at the back of the torrent. So, um, so basically what happened was pretty much as soon as I started querying the torrent, I started writing the next in the series because it felt like the next part of her story was very much there and I just immediately started writing it. So, um, so in this story, I guess uh, it's, Oh, I don't know how much to give away because I'm not sure how much I'm meant to give away because we haven't really gone through the edits or anything. So I guess suffice to say it is the next in the series and certainly I um, some of those relationships uh, that I, you know, I guess I open up certainly with her and her dad are explored more fully in the second one, I would say that. Yeah, I mean, according to, and obviously say as much as you can or are willing to, but according to the title and I think a little bit of what's in the the, the preview or whatever it says, you know, what, what will Kate do when the most precious thing is taken from her? Yes. Hmm, I wonder, I wonder what could be taken this, this parent with two children. It's a dog. Yeah. It's a, dog. It's a pet. It's a chicken. Yeah. Yeah. No confirm or deny. Yeah. The chicken. Exactly. The chicken will be taken away and she'll have to hunt it down with grave. That's why grave features the next novel so much because <laughs> right. they're chasing the chicken around. Makes sense to me. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, you're listening to Death of the Reader. This has been Herds chatting with Danuka McKenzie, author of The Torrent. I'm looking forward to the next Kate Miles novel coming in 2023. Thank you very much for joining me on the show today, Danuka. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. Wow. So cool. That's it for this great conversation with Danuka McKenzie. Danuka's new book is The Torrent. It is out now from HarperCollins. Huge thank you to Ben Herder, who brought us that conversation. Ben is one of the hosts of Death of the Reader on 2SER. Tune in every Sunday night. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is presented and produced by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That means you can talk to me. You can tell me what you're reading. You can let me know what your lunch is. Do people still do that on social media? I wouldn't know. The handle is at Final Draft 2SER. I'd love to hear about your book adventures. Subscribe in your podcast app. It means a new great conversation every week, plus bonuses. My name is Andrew Bopel. I will be back soon with more great conversations from Final Draft. As always, happy reading. Bye now.